Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, you are tuned in to yet another episode of the Aptivate podcast brought to you by Remerge. I today am your host, Tommy, and I as always have an absolutely wonderful guest on the line with me. We've been chatting for the last 15 or so minutes about things that I don't really know anything about. So I'm super excited to pick her brain learn a little bit about her perspective, learn about her experience. She's really, really wonderful. Without further ado, today's guest is Eva Juritic, who is the growth marketing manager for Pocket Worlds. Eva, how are you? I'm good. Busy week. Very excited about this. Like first time for me to do a podcast. So naturally nervous, but we had a great intro conversation and you convinced me to be relaxed. So I'll do my best. Probably 20 to 30% at least of our guests, probably more, probably 30 to 50% of our guests. This is their first time ever doing a podcast. So you're in great company. Everyone who's ever done it for the first time has done a fantastic job. There's no such thing as a bad guest. Everyone here is so knowledgeable and it's just nice to to have a quick conversation and chat about what's going on with them. So tell us what's going on with you. Where are you based today? I'm based in Zagreb in Croatia. I'm a native, so I've been here from more or less forever. That's amazing. I know close to nothing about Croatia except great soccer teams, usually. Dubrovnik's supposed to be incredible. That is where most of my knowledge starts and ends. So you've been there your whole life. That's amazing. Do you plan on staying for the rest of your life? First of all, you and I have something in common. I can say I know much more than you. Maybe visited uh, coast a bit more. Honestly, I did live like a year and a half or so in Barcelona, which was great experience. But my plan was never to live in any other country than here. I planned to move back, build a consultancy or anything like that, have my Zagreb as headquarters. And the moment I had this idea, it was like digital nomad thing was that like hot keyword going on. So that was my plan, working and living from here or traveling around, which at the moment is not really an option, but hopefully soon. I do not plan to move from here, really. Totally makes sense. You consider yourself potentially or you have aspirations of being a digital nomad. But since you've been in Croatia for some time now, And you, I guess, as a point of comparison, you lived in Barcelona for a year and a half. Would you say that the tech or gaming space is in Croatia similar to what you experienced in Barcelona? Meaning, is it more or less built up than what you experienced there? Barcelona and Spain is so much bigger than Croatia as a whole. But I think that in Croatia, I've seen more than a couple of companies, tech companies, being in mobile gaming or any other tech industry to be like very successful. We're small, but we have really talented people in tech company. In Spain, it's, I've been there, as I mentioned, like a year and a half and focusing on mobile gaming and mobile gaming companies. So you have Social Point there, you have King there, you have all these bigger companies that are global. So it's more competitive. It's easy to change jobs if you're not <laughs> happy in any way, if you're not in that industry. 
where here, okay, you're working for a local company. You don't have as many options. I think that's the main difference, really. But knowledge-wise, I don't know if I would say there's like a huge difference. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, that's my impression, at least. Awesome. So you lived in Barcelona for a year and a half. Round out your past experience a little bit more for us, because obviously you've done more than just spend a year and a half in Barcelona. So tell us about where you've spent some of your work experiences. Back when I was in uni, I started doing unpaid internships, just in general in marketing. Eventually, and very quickly, actually, I figured that digital marketing is something that I'm really into. Main reason being that you get that instant feedback from whatever you're doing, your campaigns, whatever, and you can quickly work with that. Then as a intern, I uh, got into data analytics a bit. So let's say the problem with me is that I, especially as a student, I was interested in everything. And I was really knowledge thirsty. So any experience or mentorship or anything like that that I could get, I was super happy and excited about it, which eventually led me to user acquisition. And my first job as like Facebook specialist or something like that is I was still in college is for a creation mobile game developer called Nanobit, which I started doing user acquisition and learning about it. After that, as you mentioned, I moved to Barcelona to work for Social Point, then moved back and started being self-employed, working as a consultant, which turned quickly into a more full-time type of gigs for one Canadian startup called Misplay, and then eventually ended up where I'm now in Pocket World. Amazing. That's quite a bit of UA and growth experience you have. I've never asked this question before, but I've come across a lot of guests who have spent some part of their career acting as consultant. In your experience as a consultant, did you see any consistency in terms of what other organizations needed the most help with? Depending on in which stage they're in, if they're just starting out and they're a startup, anything goes in a way. So just testing and exploring which traffic sources work and maybe working with a product and if they have a data analyst to try to figure out relevant audiences and so on. It's just different type of work, I find. If you're working for a smaller company or a startup, you are acting as one-man band, really. Whereas if you're working for a larger company, if you are getting hired part-time as a UA, you're doing optimizations, campaigns. That's pretty much it. More or less, it's very specialized type of work. Given your experience working in UA, both for organizations and as a consultant, also another question I don't really think I've ever asked, but whatever, just going to go with it. What is the thing that you love most about working in growth marketing? growth. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but actually like seeing those numbers grow and expanding a user base. And mainly what I always said since I started working in mobile app marketing is figuring out what makes people tick. What's that motivation or trigger, whatever it is that inspires them to take action. Or for me, I like to look at the whole user journey. If I'm focusing on new user acquisition. I want to know how this user is behaving in the app. Is he retaining? Is it like bringing them value they need? And all this stuff. I always ask these extra questions because for me, understanding a big picture makes me understand how to do my job better 
It may be simple, but growth, weirdly. I would answer if someone said, what do I love the most about working in sales? I'd probably say, yeah, making sales, doing the core component of the job. Making money of selling seven. Yeah, yeah. It's that satisfaction feeling that I get like, oh, this is growing. It's expanding. If something goes viral, oh, my God, best day ever. <laughs> Seeing that effect and then stuff like that. It's awesome. It totally makes sense. You mentioned a second ago, you like on top of driving growth as being something that you love about your roles as a growth marketing manager, you also like uncovering what makes people tick. How do you discover what makes someone tick? I can say I have very systematic way of doing it, a methodology of doing it. It's something I see as if you're working with a certain product for some time, you get after spending X amount of budget and seeing X amount of users going through your campaigns and the app, you develop, at least I do, this intuition sort of feeling and you really get to know who your audience is. That you partially do find out and test these things through creative testing, through different messaging and so on, sure. And looking at data, like what type of users are you bringing in? Typically, for one of the past games I worked, we had like very five defined profiles of users that we see. Like maybe some are only collectors, others are much more competitive. And through different like user analysis and profiles like that, you get the fuller picture of who your users are and what makes them convert. It sounds like it's predominantly a combination of data analytics and intuition and just general human intuition around how do people behave based on certain activities and what can we derive from that? Yeah, I think intuition, it's like curious word. I think intuition is something you can also train and develop. If you feed it data, experiences and information, you get better. This is at least how I see it and from my experience. And I think that people who solely rely on data, it's being too fanatic about data or being too fanatic about, no, data is nothing. Let's just go with the flow. Neither is, in my opinion, a like, correct way of doing it. I think you need to take both into. That's a sentiment I've heard from a number of marketers most recently, specifically because I don't want to get into the subject, but why I've heard it more often these days is because I think we had discussed it on a podcast. I want to say it was with curtsy, I forget, but something that she had mentioned, I believe, was that they rely a lot on intuition today in their marketing principles, specifically on iOS, because the data that they have for their growth marketing strategies is not what it used to be on no ID traffic. So they have to just say, we have years and years of experience understanding where our audiences are. We have years of experience understanding what kind of messaging will drive growth because this is the kind of thing that our audience derives value from. And they focus on those experiences in certain part. They still do their best to measure, but it's really that intuition and experience that drives a lot of their growth strategies today. So it's interesting to hear that you say that as well, to some degree, at least. Yeah, I think that if you are hiring somebody with experience, this is actually what the part that is valuable. What the experience is, how many apps or products, whatever it is a person has worked with, because that experience is something you can just transfer or tell somebody and bam, they have an experience. You can read blogs, books, take courses. That's all awesome. But experience at the day is something that it differentiates. Differentiates, yeah. That word, yeah. okay. <laughs> you from maybe your other colleagues. Yeah, you had the word. 
All right. I asked the question, and I'm just going to keep rolling with strange questions. I asked the question, what do you love the most? I have to ask the opposite question. What do you dislike the most about growth marketing managing, if anything? Depending on the company, the structure and whatever, there's so many things in UA I feel that are repetitive. And for whatever reason, it takes years for industry to get them more like automatic or anything like that. It's just hard to do, especially because if you're optimizing a campaign, yes, you're looking at numbers and performance, sure. But there's always that sanity check and that, that, that extra kind of level of experience or intuition, how we mentioned that, you know, okay, like this isn't performing too well, but hold on. I know how this particular network works and I know it takes them two weeks longer to get going or whatever it is. It's the secret component of it all or something. So because I've been doing the operational stuff for so long, I still enjoy doing it, but that back and forth with some account managers, it can just be waste of energy a little bit, at least for me. That makes sense. It feels so it can feel like you're just solving problems that you've seen over and over and over again, or troubleshooting the same issues over and over again, like tracking links, for example, not working or some sort of simple functionality that should be seamless at this point, not performing the way you'd like it to. Yeah. And even big companies and big media sources, everybody who's not in the industry just assumes works perfectly or something. No, they don't. Like, they really don't. So if I had to choose something, that would be it. Okay. I want to get up to speed. So we've gone through your background to a good degree and, and talked about some of your past experiences. Again, predominantly working, I'd argue, in the gaming space and predominantly focused on growth marketing. Today, you're at Pocket Worlds. Tell us about what Pocket Worlds is for those listeners who may not be familiar. Pocket Worlds has this long story of just trying and tailoring and just trying different things and so on until it started working and it started working really well. So Pocket Worlds, in a way, it's pioneering in social first gaming, which means that social part of the game, it's a core part and the game is built around it. Unlike, for example, if you have an RPG game, they test the idea, the concept, the product, they see it's working, and then eventually they add some social components like chat or whatever it is. In Pocket Worlds, in High Rise, it's the main app we're talking about. This is the core of the game. The game wouldn't exist without that social component. Pocket World started, I think, 2013, and the main app is High Rise. We now have around 200,000 daily users and keep on growing. We are now playing around and the whole blockchain, NFTs, crypto <laughs> space and planning to integrate a lot of things in that area which is very, very exciting. And everybody's in the companies, okay, this is very exciting. We don't know what we're doing, but let's go for it kind of thing. Let's learn as we go. Because it's very like dynamic, very fast moving, very, I feel profitable and everything. That's actually like happening right now. We're testing and planning these things as we speak, really. Amazing. I want to get into that momentarily. And for all our listeners, I don't know much of anything about blockchain technology. So if people do know a lot about it, don't judge me for asking really dumb questions. But before we even get into that, I'm looking at Highrise on your website and one thing jumps out to me immediately and it takes me back to 
my days reading Snow Crasher, uh, and that's that you call this app the leading mobile metaverse platform. Have you always identified this game as a metaverse platform, or is this a more recent identification? I joined Pocket Worlds three months ago, and when I joined, metaverse is something that we were adopting and starting to communicate as part of the brand and what we're doing. We were using a virtual world and metaverse at the same time for more than a couple of months and then shifted to more of a metaverse as well. I feel like metaverse is now one of very hot topics and words going around. But yeah, it's been some time. Makes sense. I also then have to ask because the concept of a metaverse, frankly, over the last like two months, maybe even less, has kind of exploded in large part due to Facebook's announcement as branding as meta, as well as a lot of blockchain and crypto companies starting to open up virtual worlds in which, for example, people can buy virtual property. My ultimate question here is, have you seen a significant rise or any rise in user growth that you could correlate to the explosion of meta and metaverses as a concept? Some, but not that I would relate it to that, honestly. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like the huge advantage that Highrise has is you have apps that are a lot of the budget or a currency or whatever it is on blockchain, but they don't really have a product or are yet to develop it. It's almost as if we've been building for blockchain without blockchain existing for a long time. So we do have an active community. We do have a marketplace. Everything is functioning and we have active users and players that are playing our game. And people are playing high-rise without the mechanism to make money. And us entering that space and introducing blockchain technology into everything, it's not only making that now popular play-to-earn, but play-and-earn type of concept. And this is what we are most excited about. We're really into it right now, yeah. So talk to me about that, because we're talking now about blockchain. And what I want to know is, what does it mean to integrate blockchain into high-rise, for example? What's changing from a consumer perspective? It sounds like one of the core changes is that where mobile games and basically every app product in the world was somewhat one-sided in the sense that consumers go and use the product and pay for it. It sounds like a big change here is now that consumers can make money in the app as well. But can you flesh out a little bit more? What does it mean to integrate blockchain and high-rise? So we have a couple of ideas and a couple of things that we're doing. So first of all, what is already, what you can already do within high-rise, but it wasn't available until recently, you can use the currency and cash out. So we've started with that to test it out, how users will use it, if they'll use it, and so on. But the major thing that is happening, and it's actually next uh, Monday, so November 22nd, we're doing our first NFT drop. So there will be, we call it a high-rise creature club. You can read all about it at nft.joinhighrise.com. There's a Discord server you can join as well participate and ask all the questions and so on. So yeah, we're doing a drop of 10,000 unique creatures on Monday. So that's the kind of our first step into testing the waters and see how it goes. And one of the great things is that what, unlike any really other NFT drop that has been done so far, is these NFTs, you can actually use them. 
So you can use them in game. You can connect them to your high-res account and you can realize them in your virtual world as a creature or equip any items or aspects of this creature as your outfit or combine it with other items to make your own outfit. So it's usable from the beginning. And we have a lot of ideas and opportunities on how to develop that further. Maybe we're doing like a land sale eventually. And if you have two or more creatures, we're considering doing breeding, in-game minting, developing official marketplace, and so on and so on. So there's like a lot planned ahead on our roadmap. So definitely an amazing playground, <laughs> for sure. There are so many different places you could go, it sounds like, with the application of blockchain technologies into your game. And you just named right off the top of your head, essentially, four. Some of them are ideas that it sounds like y'all are mulling over. One of them is extremely real in the sense that you're doing your first NFT drop on November 22nd. Again, for our listeners, nft.joinhighrise.com. All that being said, to buy an NFT, it's not straightforward necessarily for your average consumer. It requires that you have Ethereum. It often requires that maybe you can access OpenSea or some sort of NFT marketplace that maybe you have a crypto wallet of some sort. All this is to say, how do you educate your consumer base on these changes and guide them through it, if at all? Or do you find that most of your consumers are very ready for this change? I don't expect that all like majority of our users or players are maybe familiar with it, which is completely fine. We are planning and are doing all these educational articles, blog posts and how-tos and so on, and really communicating actively with the community, especially on our Discord. So as I mentioned, this is our first NFT sale we're doing, first NFT drop. We're also learning how to educate and how to show the value and provide the value to our users. This is our main goal. Whatever we do, we want our users to benefit from us. There's nothing that we do that we care about our little, the whole economy and high rise. It's very important for us that our users see the value there. So if we're doing a first NFT drop, what I expect is a small percentage of users that are very educated and familiar with it. And maybe some users that are just ready to test it out, play around with it, and then seek early adopters kind of thing. And then if it works, if it's valuable, if it's usable, if it makes sense, I expect that just more users will be joining in and playing around with NFTs. Explain to me with this drop, because I'm not super familiar with NFT drops in general. I've been a part of a few of them, but will it cost money to acquire one of these NFTs? Money in the form of crypto? Yes. So the whole thing is built on Ethereum. So we're partnering up with Mutable X, which is like layer two blockchain on top of Ethereum, which makes the whole thing cheaper for users that want to buy in a sense of Immutable doesn't have like gas fees if you are trading there. So one of the bigger problems with Ethereum is the gas fees being expensive. So once you have Ethereum there transferred, which will cost you gas fees, after that, if you want to buy our NFTs, it's gas free. That's one big thing how we're solving that problem price-wise. So there is definitely like a symbiotic relationship happening here. Y'all have uncovered another form of monetization for yourselves by where in the past, developing new characters or developing new promo boxes would have translated into 
paying US dollars through the Apple store, whatever the case may be in the app. Instead, now you're able to translate it into NFTs, which they can buy through crypto, bring into the app. But then ultimately the big trade-off here is that, yeah, you've made money there, but now the consumers can go about and create their own marketplace where they're trading these items as well. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. What we want to do is, so we have the economy, but we don't want to be owner of that. We want our users to have ownership of whatever property they have it like. So if you have any items, outfits, rooms, whatever have you in high rise, like we know that because we have it written in our database, but we really want our users to own it. And a way to do it is translating that on blockchain. So this is what we're aiming to do. Now, how this whole thing <laughs> will be done and works, we are testing things out and seeing what works best. And because the whole crypto thing is so dynamic, I think it's learn as you go for everybody. Well, talking about learn as you go then, and this maybe brings everything a little bit full circle, your role is still that you are a growth marketing manager and one of the core components of your role is driving user acquisition and user retention. How do these advancements and these changes as related to blockchain technologies integrating into your app, how do they affect your role and how you think about driving growth? I don't know. I think nobody knows yet. And I'm very excited to pioneer the whole thing. We'll just see how, from user acquisition perspective, where you are acquiring users for a certain price and you want to make sure that you get your money back and you're growing your user base profitably. I think with introducing a blockchain here, I think we'll introduce and develop some different models, potentially, that maybe work similarly, maybe completely different from what it is right now. For user acquisition goals, it's always you have company goals and then we are looking, okay, how does this translate into user acquisition, to campaigns, to the littlest detail? And then you're working your way up and seeing is company as a whole completing their goals? Is it profitable? I could see it potentially changing two things in particular for you. And this is just me shooting from the hip. One is it wouldn't surprise me if it opens up a new targetable audience, meaning consumers who have a vested interest in cryptocurrencies and maybe more specifically consumers who have a lot of Ethereum, for example, or even not a lot, but some Ethereum. They might say, well, this is very interesting and it's another application. It is a more tangible application of my crypto than maybe what I've seen before. So that could open up targeting opportunities for you. And the other thing that I potentially see is it might potentially change, I just use potentially twice one sentence. Apologies to my listeners. It could also change your cost per acquisition because one could argue that if I, consumer, am able to make money by engaging with this product, I'm willing to spend more money to get into the product itself in the first place because there is that value exchange that I see in a very tangible way. So where maybe your cost for acquisition was X before it might turn to Y. And I'm curious if you agree at all with any of those hypotheticals. Yes, for new targeting audiences, it's something we're counting on. <laughs> what we don't want to happen is that our product changes in a way that doesn't fit our current user base. And we think it's doable. It's possible to keep our current user base, not to distort the gameplay to that point that they're no longer happy. Because here's the thing, our product is a very good fit for what we're doing. 
because people are already trading. They're already exchanging currency, which is now like in-game currency at this moment. We have the marketplace. We're just making the ownership on users. We don't want it to be written in our database and we can just change it or whatever. No, we don't want that. We really want to give them the real value and make it decentralized. You brought up a point that came top of mind to me a second ago as well, which is as you introduce new users from different audiences, potentially, as an app that is focused so highly on community and it's a social first product, yeah, you run that risk of changing the ethos of the product itself and changing what is the experience within the environment of this social app. But like you said, this product is already, it's almost like before it's time and now time has caught up to where it was. You were already creating a virtual world, a metaverse, and you've been doing it for a while now. And that exchange of goods, all those frameworks already existed. So not much really changes from a consumer perspective or a user perspective outside of what are the mechanisms you can use to exchange those goods potentially. Is that correct? Yes, we see it that way as well. And we are starting one thing we want and want to see what the impact is. Is there a value, how it resonates with our current economy and user base and all these things, and then move forward from there. Amazing. It's incredibly exciting. I'm sure your team is so excited. You have the 22nd just around the corner now. So I genuinely hope it goes amazingly well for you all. I'm really excited to see how high rise and pocket worlds grows and leverages blockchain to better enhance your, your user experience here. But Ava, it was so really, really wonderful to chat with you today. I really appreciate all your insights and I'd love to have you back in the future and we can see what the world of high rise looks like at that time. I would love that. I think in next few months, we are going to learn a lot. I expect some good things, some maybe not so good things, but it's definitely in a way pioneering this whole thing. We were, I'm just so excited to see what happens and how everything goes. Amazing. I'm excited as well. For all of our listeners today, today's guest is Eva Yudatich, who is the growth marketing manager at Pocket Worlds. They have an NFT drop happening on November 22nd. If you want to learn more, go to nft.joinhighrise.com. Eva, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.